river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm a down track quest. Jason Bob. Bob. What's going on, Bob? I'll live in the dream, buddy. The yeah, man. Pandemic. The pandemic dream. It's crazy, man. I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, are we partway through this or all the way? You know, who who knows? This is crazy times, man. I'm just hope we get hunting season. That's all I care about. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, everything settles down. A lot of people having a rough time right now, so hopefully. Uh, get this thing figured out and some really smart scientist figures some shit out for us and um, we don't have to walk around with masks on and people can get back to work and life can go back to somewhat normal, I guess. So hopefully uh, everybody's yeah. hanging in there out there. We appreciate all the support. So we're trying to give you guys something to listen to if you're, if you are stuck at home and not working. So, yeah, and I know talking to our buddy, we had Carson Brown on last weekend, and um, he, uh, you know, part owner of Sherwood Shafts, he says the shaft uh, consumption is up during this pandemic. A lot of people are tinkering, and sounds like, you know, been putting off playing with wood arrows for a long time, and now they're ordering them up, and um, we've got another great guest on uh, that's wood arrow related. Gary Renfro, and he's got traditional archery products. He makes a really cool tapering tool for tapering your wood shafts at home to put that point taper or knock taper on the shaft. So if you guys are new getting into wood shafts and, you know, wanting to get some tools for the building your own, he makes some good stuff. Um, he also makes a way to foot your own shaft, but as he talks about, it's not very economical. It's pretty expensive tooling. Um, but we had him out a couple of years ago, him and his wife for uh, traditional archers of Oregon banquet where they kind of ran through their whole, uh, program on footing the shaft and, uh, doing, um, uh, what were they doing? Uh, something with the turkey feathers too, doing the splicing. So they're, uh, they've got videos and all that stuff and their wealth of knowledge on that stuff. And so, and also you can go back and listen to, I think it's episode 45 and 46. We have Connie Rimfro and Gary Rimfro on. And so we just want to get Gary back on and shoot the shit and, uh, see, you know, what's, uh, what's going on in Colorado. It was a great conversation for sure. Yeah. And that's, uh, traditional archery com is the website. So yeah, he's got point brushes and, you know, all kinds of stuff in there for you guys that getting into the wood arrows and. Need something? Check that out. Yeah, he's a funny, funny guy. Gary is Gary's a funny guy. So we had a good time. Super funny uh, guy. Talked. Uh, oh. Yeah, we talked about wolves and wood arrows and driveways and muley bucks. So hope you guys yeah, enjoy this social one. Di- and social di- and social distancing. Yeah, yeah. Hope you guys <laughs> enjoy this one. Um, for everybody that's on Patreon. Um, I'm going to get the stuff. If you listen to last week's episode, 
Carson's hooking you guys up with a 15% discount. I'll get that all dialed in on the Patreon thing this week. Sorry, I haven't got it up there yet. I hate computers, so um, I'll get that up there, and you guys can uh, go onto your Patreon and log in and check out the page, and you'll you'll uh, see how to get that discount. So we thank you for your support. Um, we did. Yeah, and if you guys are listening, give a couple things away this week. We got a. Uh, Great Northern shirt, uh, bear ten set knife, and a bear hat. So, Justin Moore, you will send that over. We appreciate you guys supporting us. And, uh, like I said, I'll get on there and get that discount on there for sure with Chefs. Hopefully by the time we have this up, that'll be on there for you guys too. So if you listen to Gary and get all pumped up about shooting some woodies, Wood chess, yeah. That'll be, Get, your, uh, that'll be your time. Yeah, thanks for your, uh, supporting us on Patreon. Get your discount on Sherwood Chaff. Um, yeah. Check out Andy Ponce over at Addictive Archery. He's yeah, got I was just gonna everything say, if, you if need. We talked about getting the right wood arrows on this podcast. Carson and Andy, both they'll both help you out. I think Carson, they sell like a... Uh, uh, starter pack or something he calls it. It's like a, a wide range of, of spines, you know, kind of little miscellaneous pack so you can get figured out which arrows will shoot good. And, and Andy's by far, if you don't want to make them all up and everything and you want to make sure your arrows are dialed, he'll send you several different spines to try out. He's not going to make you up a dozen arrows until you guys get all that dialed in and, and you'll be ready to rock. So between those two, uh, jokers. <laughs> They'll have you figured out for sure. Yeah, so check out uh, Andy Ponce at Addictive Archery and uh, get a hold of Carson Brown over there at Sherwood Shafts and uh, reach out to Gary Renfro if you've got any questions about putting your own shafts or getting taper tools for building your own wood shafts. And once again, uh, we'd like to thank uh, everyone for uh, supporting us. And, uh, you know, keep looking at the Patreon. We're trying to build that up for you guys to get you guys some more better discounts and, and some great giveaways in the future. So thanks again and enjoy the podcast. Okay, Renfro, we're, uh, super, uh, pumped for you to come back on. Last time we spoke, uh, we pretty much just covered, uh, your mountain lion, tracking the mountain lion story into the caves. Didn't really get into anything else. And so. We thought it'd be fun to get you back on and catch up with you, see how uh, everything's going out there in Colorado. Well, I'm ready to ready to discuss wood arrows. If you want to talk about them, I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but um, they managed to go within a three-foot zone that I'm looking at, so I'm happy with that. Oh, nice. So um, are you uh, still putting all your shafts? Oh, yeah. I'll never shoot anything but those things. I just have an in with a guy that uh, made a really nice tool to do that. <laughs> Me. Yeah, I make them by the hundreds. I shoot them at stumps, rocks, it don't matter. There's a lot of work in them. There's no doubt about it. But being a woodworker, I'm set up unlike most people. That's the reason why I put that video out about 10 years ago, so show guys how to do it you know in their home shop if they got even the basic tools 
but in the meantime, all that stuff, I come up with the the scorpion footing tool, which is a serious footing tool. I mean, it's precision, and you can run arrows through that thing and groove them, and you know, by the dozens, real quick. But it's expensive, and people that buy the scorpion footing tool are either guys who got a lot of money. Well, guys that want to go into business and try to make them and sell them on the, you know, on the business. But for the most part, it's pretty expensive for the rank and file. And all I'm doing is passing on the cost of what it takes to get the dang thing made. I see. So it's not real economical for the guy that just wants to foot his own own a couple dozen shafts. No, it's not. You got to have a lot of money to, you know. I mean. The tool itself is about 500 bucks, and then the custom blade that I had made um, is another 200 $225. So you got to put out a little bit of cash in order to get set up, and then you got to have all the other tools, a small table saw, uh, uh, you know. If you use your own shafting, you don't need the doweling tools. I make all my arrows out of popper, just out of boards. So I make the shafts and and the whole ball of wax. But I wouldn't shoot anything else. I mean, once you get hooked on those things, it's, there's no way you're going to go back. Now, Gary, you what's, just, the, uh, you take, purchase, what's the biggest benefit of the footed shafts? Is it the durability or the consistency or the forward to center, having the heavier weight up front? What's... The best Always, yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, the original uh, idea was that uh, kind of like the forge woods that they're tougher up front and you don't break them as easy. But trust me, they'll break fairly easy. But it's the weight forward aspect of it, and and you know, I taper my shafts from twenty three sixty fourths at the point to five sixteenths full length, kind of like the grizzly sticks that they made of carbon or whatever the heck they're made out of fiberglass and carbon or whatever but they're they're full length tapered now i'm only shooting a 28 and a half inch arrow and i can get away with that and you get into somebody like my buddy mikey hayes uh, uh, that builds the black canyon bows he draws her back past his ear like 31 inches or something and you can't hardly do that real easy for those guys that really put some power into those arrows you need to you need to uh just tape it on a knock in eight ten inches and get the benefit of of uh you know tapered on the end and uh wait forward because those guys pull back and when they dump the string on a 70 pound bow it really flexes in the center because you got to get that mass in the front moving when they got enough power and enough draw length to do that, it's you know you'd have to go way way up in spine in order to make them happy to to uh, full length tape them. But they shoot good. Gary, have you always shot wood arrows? Did you? Was there a time when you were oh, no. you know back in the day that you shot aluminum no, or anything no. else? Or I'm so old that you know back in the day I started with wood arrows like everybody else, and then. You know, my old man, he, uh, I remember when he ordered his first uh, batch of uh, aluminum arrows from Herders back in the late 
fifties, I would say early, yeah, late fifties. I was just a little, really little tight. And he went out and he was shooting those aluminum arrows back then. And he got all mad because he shot one of his other, one of his arrows with another one. He didn't Robin Hood, but he hit it sideways and he was all upset. So aluminum arrows been around a long, long time. But I shot aluminum arrows uh, for, uh, I don't know, 25 years or so until I decided that I really like the way wood arrows work. They're, they quieten the bow down. Um, you know, ask Fred Bear, hell, he killed everything known to man with wood arrows. They work just fine. A few years ago, I put a, a buddy of mine in Montana, he was a flint napper, and he napped me out some stone points. They're not legally used here in Colorado, but they are in Kansas where I hunt with my boy. He lives there. And I was hunting with a self bow, and I had a, a buck walk in 18 yards or so. And he stopped right in the shooting lane and looked the other direction, and it was just like all you could ask for. A self bow, snap shooting, stone point on a footed, head, a footed arrow, and it hit him right in the 12 ring and punched out the other side. And I would, I would say that that head that I used was not necessarily napped to a razor edge like, like everyone would want, but it was just the, the weight and a straight flying arrow and just punched right through him. And he was a huge, huge buck, not antler-wise, but body-wise. And 50 yards, he was down. So, yeah, a lot of people say, well, they can't get stone points to fly good because they're too light or too this or too that. You strap them babies on a footed arrow and all that stuff goes away. They fly like a dot. And um, I've hunted with them. I, let's see, I've taken two or three whitetails. So far, one coyote. I'm just trying to think the stone points. You know, I don't I don't nap myself because I got a little bit of a wrist injury and it kind of wipes me out to do it. I have napped a few of them, but I just get somebody else to do them for me because I just start crying halfway through one of the points. <laughs> um, but my lovely bride here a couple years ago from the ground, still hunted and shot her first uh, white tail with a stone point and a footed arrow. <clears throat> she, uh, she punched him dead center and he went about 40, 50 yards and crashed into a tree and it was over. She was on cloud nine, let me tell you. But uh, oh. where it's legal, it's a, it's another, just another notch on the ladder or another step on the ladder for a challenge, you know. And they yeah, work. Yeah. I don't so know what legal say- out there in Oregon. What would you say um, is the biggest – I know we get a lot of guys that are kind of switching over or start tinkering with wood arrows or, or guys that have in the past and they, they say they had a lot of bad experiences or this or that. Like what do you say think is the biggest – like the biggest key to getting the right arrows or – you know what I'm saying? Making that switch. Well, you know – just for an example, wood arrows are no different than your carbons that are numbered and aluminums that are numbered. you got to get the spine right no matter what. And it's it's not just necessarily the poundage of the bow. It's your draw length and how you release that arrow. If you're a plucker, you're going to have to, you know, fiddle around up and down five or ten pounds to 
get arrows straightened out in front of your bow by the time it, uh, you know, to get it on track. And a lot of guys uh, that are really pinpoint accurate shooters can draw back and make a smooth release and they can, they can tune those wood arrows in real well. But you know, I'm not a, I'm, it's, it's, it's the old kiss system, you know, just don't worry about a little wobble in your arrow. It just depends on where it's hitting, where you're looking. And I got a buddy that's a past state champion shooter here. <laughs> He's always walking up and, grabbing my arrows and spinning them and, you know, checking to see how wobbly they are. And I say, Wayne, don't sweat it. Just don't worry about all that stuff. But it drives those guys crazy if they're not perfectly straight, you know. But these guys, I'll give you a perfect example about um, wood arrows. I don't know, probably eight years ago, I had a, a goat tag and I was hunting. I always told myself, it was 22 years of applying, I told myself if I ever draw a goat tag, I'm going to hunt it with another goat tag. I've taken three or four of them, but um, I'm going to hunt them with a self bow. And at that time, I needed that goat that would have, if I was successful, it would have uh, completed my third big eight here in Colorado, which is, you know, old Jake Powell, you had him on a year or two ago, I think, and he was the only guy that held the big eight here in the state or in this state for like 10 years or so. And I told him, I said, I drew a goat tag and I'm going to go with myself, bro, and all this and that. And he goes, well, you can do it. I know you can. But anyway, long story short, um, I decided to make a, a self bow specifically for this goat hunt. And I worked on it for a month or so before season. And Man, I tell you what, I could not get arrows to fly out of that thing. I just, it drove me crazy. So I just went and picked up my old Reliable. That's the name of my old, Jesus, 20-some years old. Now it's got probably three-inch, two-and-a-half-inch uh, string follow. And I went and grabbed old Reliable and went hunting with it. And I was successful and got the goat and all this and that. A few months later, I picked up the bow that I'd been trying to get going. And... Once again, I could not get those arrows to fly out of there. And I thought, well, what the heck? I'm going to go down a few poundage. I thought I was down plenty um, to make them fly, and that's why I kept fighting it. So I went down another five or eight pounds. I don't remember, but, man, that made the world a difference. Those things were flying like a dot out of that bow that I was fighting all that time. And that's the same thing I would tell anybody that's having a bad time with it wood arrows is that you've got to go up and down the spine and find what works for you. And that's, that's all there is to it. And, and you're saying sometimes you, you even got to go a little, a little further than you think maybe extreme, right? Like you might think Either you're already or down. five or 10 pounds lighter than you're supposed to be. You got to try a little yep. more. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. Yep. In fact, you know, Mike Hayes built Connie a recurve uh, 10, 12 years ago. Um, he drove all the way from southern part of the state. To, he was all excited to get it up here, <laughs> get it up here and have Connie try it out. So we went outside my shop where a bunch of targets set up, and, and she pulls back and lets go, and the arrow just hits the target sideways. It was terrible. And we tried it this and tried that and nothing worked. Mike was all bummed out, man. He took that brand new bow and just threw it in the air and it bounced off the rocks. He was just beside himself. 
So he went back. <laughs> he was like a mad scientist. He went back to back home and worked on it. He thought it was a limb configuration or something. And he made another one. It came up same dang thing. I said, don't throw that bow, dude. <laughs> and uh, I went in the shop and looked around. I found some some lighter spined arrows than what she's used to shooting. And she shoots light spined arrows anyway. And that was it. Those things flew perfect out of that bow. And he was just dumbfounded that it had to go down. Because she's only shooting a 26-inch arrow, you know. I mean, they're not very long. And just keep going up and down. And it's all dependent on how you, what your draw length is. If you've got a real long draw length, you may have to go up 5 or 10 pounds. And, you know, as opposed to us people at short draw and, and calling for just she draws it all the way back and shoots it just fine, but they're just short arrows. So don't, these guys that are having troubles just need to get around a bunch of the different spines, spine weights and try them. And, which, you know, and which, after uh, that, you can, you can start tapering them and fiddling with them and fine tune it to, you know, to make yourself happy in other ways. I think you're uh, spot on on that. And I tell guys, with carbons, I know aluminums have a lot of different spines, but in the carbons, it's like 300, 340, 400, 500, 600, like four or five spine classes is all they have. Mm-hmm. Um, where with wood arrows, you've got like 20 spine classes. Yeah. So you, there's a lot of options there to find the correct spine um, to uh, get your arrows flying straight, for sure. Yeah, you know, with the numbers, you would just... Uh, Sitting out there, the 300 or 500 stuff. I'm so detached from that that I wouldn't even know those numbers. <laughs> I mean, I have no right. clue, and it doesn't bother me a bit. I got one carbon <laughs> arrow that I found one day, and I just it's sitting in this in my shop in my office, and I look at it, but that's you know, it's just like uh, it's like a diseased arrow to me. <laughs> I got buddies that shoot them religiously, you know. I mean. I give them all kinds of crap about it. I said, man, that's a really nice buck. It's too bad you got that crap in quiver, you know, and things like that. They wouldn't expect anything different from me. You know, it's uh, it's uh, to each their own, but got, I love shooting wood arrows. You've got a couple T-shirts that have some funny things on them. What's, what, what do they say? A couple of what? Oh, T-shirts? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm phasing those out. I'm almost out of them. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be selling them when they run out. Uh, oh, I don't know. It says, do your part to lower your carbon footprint. Shoot wood arrows. Um, does my woody make my butt look big? Um, I'm trying to think of what the heck. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, that's awesome. fun. Yeah. Are, are you, you're from Colorado, Gary? Oh, yeah. Um, between Connie and I, we're nine generations she's fifth generation i'm fourth generation so our ancestors homesteaded this state been around a long long time your dad your dad was sounds like your dad was bow hunting when you were just a kid yeah you know we lived in my old man was a hard rock miner and he drank lots of whiskey he was a tough son of a gun and when we were living in Moab, Utah at the time when I was just a little bitty guy, 
And we lived in Moab before Moab was Moab, but um, he worked the uranium mines for the atomic weapons, and he hunted the LaSalle Mountains out there, and he killed a really, really nice buck. I still got the only picture I've got of him. Um, I don't know. It's one 170, I would imagine, maybe 175 class muley with a bow. I don't even know. I've tried to identify that bow a bunch of times. I, I still can't figure out what bow it is, but open broadheads, you know, that kind of stuff, open quiver. <laughs> but, yeah, he's the one that got me going on it. But he uh, drank himself yeah. into the bone and all that uranium mining and everything pretty much uh, – Cooking at 51 years old, so uh, that's a very hazardous um, occupation. Yeah, yeah that's a hard life. Sure. So, but I, uh, but he he got me going on fishing, and you know, and uh, and he didn't necessarily get me going on bow hunting. By the time I graduated from high school and got going on bow hunting full full bore, I mean, I left most of his abilities in the dust, you know, and, and it was because when I was growing up, we lived on buckskins and beans is what we called it. You know, we just went out and shot a deer back in the day and drug it home. And, and, uh, that's what we ate on for a week or two and then go out and get another one. It didn't matter what the hell kind of year it was. I mean, we just lived off of it. And, um, by the time I was 18, I probably rifle shot 10 men's lifetimes worth of deer. It wasn't because we were trophy hunting. And we just lived off of it. But somewhere around the 18-year-old mark, I decided, hell, I'm going to go buy a license. <laughs> and I went and bought a license. And I just pretty much kept my nose clean ever since then. But but uh, yeah, the bow hunting part of it, once I got going on that, it was like, man, this is fun. It is not easy. It is a hell of a challenge. And then when the compounds came out, I thought, oh my God, I got to have one of those contraptions. So I ordered me one of them four wheelers out of hers, uh, uh, hers catalog. And the thing I remember about that thing is the contraption that when you let go of the string, it took like four seconds for all the slack to come out of all them cables. And I couldn't hit squat with that thing. But I, I hunted, I shot, I shot a compound for a long time, longer than I wished I would have. And one day I decided, ah, I've had it with this thing. I just cranked the limbs down and went and hung it up in the, in the, in the office. And that's where it stayed. And uh, never looked back. The first year that I picked up a recurve again, I shot what, a six-by-six uh, six bull. I shot a bighorn sheep. A couple of javelina in Texas, a hog in Texas. It was like, oh, man, I should have never been shooting that damn compound all these years. It, it, it was much more satisfying for me. Thanks. So you uh, went on a run right when you made the switch. What what really pushed you to switching? What year was that, Gary? Oh, I was running around with a buddy of mine. I'd been shooting recurve for quite a while, and I kept giving him crap about, I can't believe you can ever hit anything with that damn thing, man. Because I was shooting a, a dinosaur bow at the time. It was a, what was it? It was a Jennings. I went through a Jennings Aerostar and then a shooting star, and 
we're shooting that those compounds and they're dinosaurs nowadays but um one day i just said hell with it i'm going i'm going to go back to the recurve and that was it i never looked back it was just like 80s smoking <laughs> hmm? so 1980s no it had to be around 83 82 80 well i shot a I shot a really, really big ram, and that's part of the reason. I mean, I shot this. I shot a 180 class bighorn on the run at 35, 40 yards. I don't know because uh, some other bow hunters spooked him, and I just ran around the mountain just to try and cut him off. And sure enough, here's a dozen rams running at me. They saw me peeling off down the mountain, and I picked out that last one, which just happened to be the biggest. And I hit him on the run. I shot the compound instinctively many, many times. I shot many elk on the run. Not necessarily they're running, you know, 50, 80 yards away, but they're on the move. And it, when, in order to be successful with that, you're shooting instinctively. And it's not like you're lining up any sights or a peep sight or any of that stuff. You just, you're just doing it instinctively. I'm not, I'm not advocating you guys out there to do that. But, you know, there are people that can do it. And I just happen to be one of them lucky guys, I guess. But I shot that big ram on the run and, and several bull elk and uh, on and on. But so what's the point of having, uh, if you're shooting instinctive, might as well go get something that's a little lighter than that boat anchor. <laughs> Use it, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, there was a guy so here. You... He he passed away. I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago. He shot his compound instinctively all the time. In fact, he was a world record holder for uh, bighorn sheep here in Colorado um, for quite a while. But he was damn good at it. He's really good at it. But so you can shoot those compounds instinctively. So you've seen uh, a lot change over the last. 40, 50, 40 years or so uh, bow hunting in Colorado. I imagine, uh, I mean, man. Well, I wish you wouldn't even bring that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, back in the day, yeah. you, could go buy a, you could go buy an antelope tag. I live in the past, but you could go buy an antelope tag over the counter and go antelope hunting. Well, there was a time when, when that was happening that the Division Wildlife said, sure, knock yourself out. <laughs> ding dongs <laughs> well these guys uh, figured out how to dig pit lines and uh, they started putting on seminars and they're getting big classes and pretty soon the success rate starts going through the roof and they go whoa boys hold on just a second and then you had to start drawing for them and it's to the point now where there are no antelope comparatively back in the you know the late 70s and 80s places where you could see 300 antelope today you see three maybe it's just they're really down really bad same thing with mule deer but yeah um the compound has lit a fire under most of the guys out there and and um there's more people in the field and there's only so much resource to go around, and and I'm 30, 
30 years now, I think, uh, trying for a moose tag and I don't know, 28 years for a desert bighorn. And it's just, it's a race between me drawing a license and dying. You know, I mean, my God, I'm 66 years old nowadays. <laughs> it's, it's just, I'm not kidding. It's sad. And it's not going to get any better. In fact, we had world-renowned sheep hunting here and locally in this unit. I mean, we used to sit at the dining room table and look at, you know, bands of rams just out out the window across on the other side of the mountain. And I told Connie, I said, it's amazing that we get to see this all the time. I said, there's probably going to be a day where you won't be able to see it. And sure enough, boy, our sheep have plummeted to virtually non-existent in comparison and the DOW thinks it's much healthier and it probably is but boy I mean the last year I think I, the last ram I killed was I don't know the 145 50 150 class ram starting with a pistly predator and that was in 93 yeah and I've been applying since 93 for a desert you can either apply for bighorn or you can apply for desert. You don't gain any preference points. But um, that year, I think, if my memory serves me, I drink beer, so it might not be too sharp, but uh, I think we killed 11 rams, and that's unbelievable. The bow hunters killed 11 rams in this unit in 93, the last year that I hunted, if I, if I remember right. And that's the way it was for year after year after year. And I, I haven't even looked lately. If they kill one nowadays, two would be a bonus package. But there were some really nice rams taken out of here. But they're all gone. And disease is part of the problem. Plus, they opened it up to rifle hunters. And yeah. it, when it was an archery only. Um, do you do you follow the CWD stuff there in Colorado at all? No, no, I know I don't follow it. It's uh, pretty easy to figure it out. I mean, you just look at the the application map, and it's all areas with CWDs. Uh, if I remember right, kind of shaded blue. So that means it's seventy uh, percent <laughs> of the state. I would say. Yeah, sounds sounds like. No bueno. We, when we had Marv Klink on, he was, he said, and I don't know if you know more about this. I kind of, the only other person I heard say it's Ted Nugent. So, but he said that the CWD came from the fish and game injected into the deer back in the sixties. Isn't that what he said, James, on that podcast? Well, I don't know if I it was in the sixties, but it might have been, but it was, yeah, it was, from what I understand, it started up in Fort Collins at Colorado State University. And, um, I really don't know if the Division of Wildlife was tied into that. It would make sense being that it's a state college and a, you know, a state entity. So maybe they were doing some testing there, but it's not like they, I, I really, I really don't know what started it. So no, I don't follow it. I don't even know if, if they have mandatory testing anymore, but hell it's spread all over the country. Yeah. Kind of like this is pandemic. It, <laughs> is it in the elk? <laughs> yeah. Is it in, I, is I it believe, in the elk? Well, I believe it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. I believe it is. In fact, uh, some of the coveted units, yeah, we had to take elk in for testing in some of the coveted units 10, 12 years ago. Okay. So, yeah, it's it's in the elk. I really don't follow it all, and it's unfortunate, but I'm just a busy, busy guy. Um, I uh, have been digging for almost a year and a half on a driveway. <laughs> on a driveway to hell where Connie and I are trying to build a house. Right now we're living in her dad's basement because we sold her house. And we're, he's 91 years old and he lives upstairs. If you talk to him, don't tell him we're living in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know it. He needs to just stop yeah, by a lot. It's sad, but it's true too. I had a buddy about this pandemic, you know, a buddy of mine texted me or emailed me the other day. Don't forget, man, we got from April 1st or whatever to the 24th to apply for Kansas tags. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm well aware of that. Um, well, so I answered him and I said, yeah, I'll probably draw this year, but it'll be another kick in the crotch. I said, I'll get out there only to find that the deer think that social distancing is still in effect and I won't see one. <laughs> and he like to lost his mind. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Me and, me and Bob were talking about it. It could be the, the year to draw tags. I mean, especially for out of state, out of staters getting those, those, uh, those percentages of those out of state tags. Cause a lot of people I think are, not sure what to do. Just wear your mask, man. That's all you got to do. Get a camo one. <laughs> Get a camo one. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people don't take that. Did did not, still don't take that thing seriously. And I live up here in the hills, and I'm going to tell you what. It may be sad to say this but I'm going to go ahead and say it. There is nobody on the interstates. I can go wherever the hell I want to. It is lovely out there. I can drive through town and not five people are crossing in front of you, opening their car doors, stopping in the middle of main street for no reason at all. You can just go and do just like you could back in the early early 70s man it's marvelous <laughs> there's nobody here <laughs> oh pretty sad uh, some benefits that, yeah, that, that is a good it. perspective if people could slow down and, and just not race around all the time how much yep. you know uh in, energy and fuel and everything we could all save yep you got it, it there's no doubt about it it's a it's a it's a huge wound up engine under normal well, conditions going left, right, north, south, east, west at all times. And well, if, uh, it's, it's, it's nice out there right now. I'm telling you. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you if it was September, it wouldn't be so nice. Everybody would be elk hunting. Everybody would be out of work and in the woods. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't taken an elk. I haven't really given much, for five or six years, I haven't put much effort into it. And I've killed nine truckloads of 
elk over the years and yeah i miss it but we got a dog that is just i know this is stupid but but he is our buddy and we take him elk hunting with us and he's pure white and he's not conducive to elk hunting and we just have so much fun with that little dog and it doesn't really matter i guess uh one of these days when my freezer goes empty I uh, might have to leave the dog at home and go give me an elk. <laughs> oh, it's pretty sad. Yeah, you strap a cow elk uh, head on to the dog. Yeah, you're an idea, quite... man. Painting, painting, <laughs> a, painting Montana decoy color. <laughs> Somebody put an arrow in him. I shot the world's shortest elk. But now we... Uh, we got the wolves here now, like you say, and they've been here for a while. In fact, it's kind of crazy. Uh, my neighbor, that well, we just sold our house here six, eight months ago. And our neighbor had this, I don't know, it's probably been about eight, ten years, had this big old wolf dog, you know. And it, it he had a big, giant wolf dog, and he had this chihuahua. And they would both get out of the yard and they'd cruise the neighborhood together. It was like a cartoon, man. And that little dog would get that wolf dog wouldn't wouldn't raise much hell at all, but that little the chihuahua would just yap and bark and just want to rip you up, you know. And uh, one day I was on my way to work, and about a mile out of town, or not even that, yeah, about a mile out of town, I looked and I went, oh, oh, damn. Neighbor's dog got run over. I drove by it, and I came back the next day, and I drove by it going to work the next morning. And when I came home the second day, there's D.O.W. cars parked all around this thing. Hell, it was a real wolf. It wasn't my neighbor's wolf dog. <laughs> and it had a collar on it. It came out of uh, um, Montana or wherever up there. Got run over female. And it looked just exactly like, you know, I didn't really inspect it that close, but you're not expecting to see a real wolf. But they've been down here for a long time, and up there in the northwest corners, where they're they got a big push right now to reintroduce the wolves. And now all of a sudden, the sheriff's department up in the northwest part of the state sending photos of uh, wolf packs up there, and and that's a coveted elk unit that takes 25 years for people to draw. And well, guess what? Those elk are going to dwindle real quick because they've never seen anything like this. Yeah, there's wolf packs there. They're gonna they're gonna just go down the tubes, and hopefully yeah. they'll forget trying to put reintroduce them because they're here. In fact, at our shoot about four years ago, five years ago, one of our um, um, acquaintances was walking just walking through one of the meadows real early in the morning and two wolves came out of the trees and looked them over and turned and went back in the trees. It was pretty, pretty crazy. And she definitely knows what a wolf is. Yeah. It's crazy how they, how they do that. I, I've had that happen to me in Northeast Oregon, had a, had a couple of wolves walk out of the trees and just look at you like, what do you want? And yep. then just walk, and then walk like they—they're really nonchalant. 
Yeah, they're top predators. <coughs> I just took a drink while I was breathing and take it from an old expert. You can't do that. <laughs> and it was water. It wasn't beer. <laughs> oh, that's probably the problem. Yeah, no kidding. Um, no, I don't. I, the wolves are here. They're going to try to get them reintroduced, and that's ironic to me. I mean, I don't. If you can drive yourself crazy with all this stuff, but it's ironic to me that now all of a sudden uh, they're they're showing pictures of packs and they're showing uh, pictures of the packs tracks in the snow and all this and that. They've been there a while, and I feel like they already knew they were here, and now that they're trying to legally get them reintroduced. Well, then they're going to gather up some serious protection. But I think they let the cat out of the bag to let everybody know that they're already here. We don't need to reintroduce them. It's going to come up for a vote this this year. They got the petition ready to go. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully a miracle happens and that doesn't doesn't get voted in. Because man, that's a just speaking from some guys from Oregon. You know they. They'll say, well, we have a plan. We, you know, we put together this wolf plan. And once there's X amount of breeding pairs, then we'll turn it over to the state yep. so the state can control them. And then you get lawsuits because yep. it's not. And I can tell you. This, and you, you get know, lawsuits we were, because it's. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, we were. They just uh, won't end. Yeah. They were sold because it's years you know, later and we've, we've already surpassed all their breeding pairs sure. and this and that when they were going to turn it over to the state and it's still yeah yeah it's, it, yeah, I mean, there's no you can't them. win you, you'll never make those people happy they live in a they were going to con- they they tried to say they were going to contain them to the northeast corner of our state and, well did they draw um, a line that- there <laughs> right did they put up and signs along the road so well i'm sorry wolves no packs beyond this point you know things like that yeah yeah so it's Nope, they didn't do that, and unfortunately, they they caught uh, all kinds of rides all over the state, and they're they're seeming to be uh, doing doing well. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, I, I've been a, a fur trapper <clears throat> since I was like nine years old, I think, when I caught my first fox, and I spent some serious time in the backcountry trapping Martin, and and I've caught cats and coyotes and fire, everything you can think of and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was a member of the State Trappers Association. I'm a life member of the National Trappers Association. But our state our state trappers twenty five years ago, thirty years ago tried to work with the Division of Wildlife about these wolves and have them set a precedent that if we have the wolves, we treat them like a game animal. And it just went in one ear and out the other. There's no way in hell that they're ever going to treat them like a game animal until you get to the point you're describing that their packs are just everywhere and there's no deer left, no elk left. And then they'll turn it into a game animal where you can, you know, you can go shoot them or trap them or well you can't trap them here you can't trap anything here anymore but um they 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 said they set the rules the trappers did 
a long, long time ago on deaf ears. And it's unfortunate, but now they're here and they're still protected, you know, just being the transients from up north, Wyoming, Montana. And uh, there's no season on them. And it's unfortunate that if they get these reintroduced here, then there's going to be a whole book full of rules. Yeah. As you well know. Yep. Well. I have an acquaintance that went up to Idaho and hunted them and called them in and and took a couple of them with an outfitter. That's what he was doing. I said, really? I'll be darned. So I guess it's legal to hunt them someplace up there. Yeah, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. They, you know, finally got bad enough that, uh. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It'll, it'll be here too. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well. What, uh, what do you, what do you and Connie got planned, uh, for this, Get uh, out of this damn basement. basement. <laughs> 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 oh. We're in limbo. I mean, I'm going to be applying for Kansas and, you know, just basic over-the-counter tag for elk because we're maxed out with time trying to get a house built. And we started this son of a gun so long ago are you, that are the you interest rates were... Is that what's going on oh, in this driveway? Yeah, solid bedrock. <laughs> and I've got a badass caterpillar. And it's showing its its age now, boy. I've uh, I've got a guy coming in to blast the last fifteen feet. I'm just tired of tearing this machine up pieces. And uh, I mean, I got I'm I'm busting out rock that is that I'm happy to have that's bigger than a truck. I can't lift them. I just got to push them around. Well, but yeah, um, we've been we've been talking to you for a couple of years now and i i mean i remember when you were getting this you were having it surveyed yeah, uh, yeah it's so yeah. it's all about money man when you pull white yeah. trader trash like me you got a nickel and dime every move I'm, and 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 they got a they got a book of rules of uh you know building codes and all this stuff oh my god i have to get I, my I septic sand certified i had five thousand dollars worth of septic sand delivered today five thousand dollars i said my god let's go to florida it's all over the ground it's everywhere (laughs) yeah we got sand dunes out here so are are you guys working your guys working your way to a nice view up there on top of the mountain or no we're working to get up there away from everything I mean, okay. this whole, the whole dynamics have changed. It's nothing but one giant adventure park. And I'm not kidding. Where our road turns off nowadays, it didn't used to be this way. There is a zip line company, two rafting companies, a jungle gym is what I call it. It's one of the ninja warrior things they put up. An RV park going in right now. I mean, it is just. It's turned into Disneyland around here, and where we're at, you can't hear anything or see anything. It's, it is lovely. Trust me. And that's, I got like, what have I got? I'm 66. I got another 20 years of 
if the virus don't get me and I'm going to, I'm going to stay up there and stay away from people. My buddy, he's building a self bow. He already built one a year or so ago. And I told him to go buy the Bowyer's Bible. It'll help him along. But he just keeps constantly texting me about, well, how far above the handle should you put the shelf? Uh, what about this knot? And it's just, I'm busy. I'm running a man machine, doing man work. I ain't got time for this crap texting back and forth. <laughs> so anyway, um, he starts it out. I haven't talked to him for a year. I mean, you know, he texted me. I texted him through his whole bow a year, year and a half ago. And it took him a year, year and a half to get the damn thing done. He killed him one. He killed a five-point bull, a raghorn. My guess is, being there wasn't a big old giant story to come along with it, he shot a yard elk. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, he's got a picture of him behind himself with his bow. Now he's starting to build another one. So he starts his text to me. He says, hey, how's it going with uh, everything and the, the social distancing? And then he goes, oh, wait, this probably hasn't changed for you. <laughs> and I said, nope. <laughs> It hasn't. I'm trying to stay away from people always. I like people. I just don't like the masses. Everything I do for fun is to get away from people. So that works out pretty good for me right now. Yeah, that's that's yeah. just exactly it. Same here. You just I don't know. You know, the last year that I ran a trap line on a snowmobile, I left like 6 o'clock in the morning, loaded up the sled, and I took off. I had trap lines all over the place and i ran my trap lines solo all night long all night my lovely bride was so worried about whether i was ever going to make it back and so was i at the last 12 mile mark <laughs> my feet were froze to the bottom of my boots and i finally got the last set pulled and I didn't think I had enough fuel left in my sled to make it back to my trailer. And, oh, my God, I was one beat into the ground, dude. By the time I popped over that last hill at daylight and I saw my snowmobile trailer and I said, well, I made it. Oh, my God, it was a brutal day. Little did I know that, that before the next winter it was all over, no more trapping. And so it's a good memory, but unfortunate. You guys – uh still have fur trapping going on up there at all yeah it's it's still legal here yeah we still have fur trapping and you you'd asked about stone points in oregon as well and yeah we do allow hunting with stone points don't we well yeah but I, sure. I believe so i mean i'm i'm not man yeah. enough to have tried that one yet so no. i don't know for sure i don't i don't know anybody yeah we do anything with stone point here so yeah well you know I think as long as it meets the same dimensions, you know, the only call out in a regulation that shows, you know, it's got to be a certain width and length and it can't be barbed. Other than that, I think you can do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the old barbed traps haven't been legal for over a hundred years. And it's just ironic that people even bring that up. You see too many movies with these big man traps with big teeth on it. It's like, oh my God, dude. Those aren't legal, and they never have been. You know, when I first got into martin trapping, which I really love because it's, it's in the back country and avalanche country, and 
you got to pay attention to what the hell's going on. A lot of snowshoeing. But I purchased a book from a guy up in your country. His name was uh, Polly Roxborough, if I remember right. And he he wrote a little bitty, I don't know, 15, 20-page booklet on trapping pine marten. And I'm, I'm going to guess it's from the 40s. I don't know. But it was inspirational to to read that, and you know, I invented some new ways to to trap Martin and longline them using milk jugs. It worked really well. You could put on 150 milk jugs, just superimpose them, and tie them on a rope, and tie them to the back of your sled, and just take off. And you know, because to do that kind of stuff, and I don't know how the heck we got off archery when we we're talking about trapping, but um, and I. You know, maybe there is something in this water. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. And it's solo, I guess, is what the point is. Most of that stuff is, is like you say, away from the people. Yeah, this is, this is, this is mountain man times right now. Uh, people who uh, like to spend time back in their cabin and alone and with their wives or whatever. I mean, it's pretty yep. easy to do you're always you're always socially distancing yeah yeah that's why i say be my luck i'll catch the bug <laughs> damn it that's not my, my I stop I've, I've been shooting my bow a lot lately and uh, that's about my accuracy is uh social distancing about six eight feet that's about what i'm good at getting out to right now <laughs> <laughs> well uh, i can understand i uh i don't know you know but these guys that get back on archery, these guys that have trouble with, with wood arrows, just go up and down on the spine and, and you'll find your sweet, sweet, uh, sweet number. And, and once you got it, just stick with it for that bow. Now you pick up another bow and it may not be exactly the same. It's ironic that, you know, do you, do you shoot, uh, one, do you shoot 125 grain broadheads, uh, yeah, across I'm, the I'm board or school. do you, yeah. yeah, I don't need no heavy heads because I got weight forward as it is. Right, and that's what I figured. I like the you can make the two blades, the double. Yeah, double you can coming. make some adjustments too with with you can weaken your dynamic spine for the guys listening by going to a one forty five or one sixty or one ninety. Sure. I mean that's pretty much. Yeah, and the you old, know, as far the old uh, as woody weights, you can put those on. Um, right, and, and really beef up some weight forward if you're not into footed arrows. Um, what uh, what do you like for uh for feathers? Um, do you guys run threes or fours, five inches, six? Like, well, what, do you, what do you guys like? You know, back when I shot a compound, I I shot uh, four fletch, so it didn't matter which direction. I just swung them, and they went where I'm looking. And then we went into five inch three on the woods. Um, but nowadays with the weight forward, you really don't need much back there. I mean, yeah, you can cut, you can cut those things down to two and a half or three inches at the most. And, but helical is a must for me. I, I wrap them around as much as I can, much as I can get out of the Joe jab. And, um, they just, they just work really well. No, you know, you when we first started, Connie uh 
ask this pointer and that pointer and I showed her this and I showed her that. Nowadays I have to ask her for pointers because, oh my God, she hadn't shot her bow for a long time. And I told her a year or so ago, I said, you need to get your butt up there and start shooting before season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's busy, you know, and all this thing. So finally get her up there and she shoots a three inch group, just cold turkey. (laughs) After, after nine months or whatever, not even shooting her bow. It's like, oh, my God, that's just disgusting. I can't do that. (laughs) i got to stay on it, you know, to be as accurate as I can be. Does Connie shoot instinctive, or does she shoot like a a gap style? No, no, totally instinctive. In fact, I tell everybody that she's a hell of a lot better shot than all of us because her parabola with a weaker weaker bow and and, – you know, she's not shooting like some of my buddies who are shooting 80 pound bows. They can just look down the arrow and it's, it's going to go straight for her first 30 yards. But, uh, she's shooting weaker limbs, you know, shorter draw lengths. And so it has a higher arc to it. But she's, she's deadly. So. Oh, yeah. We're talking about instinctive shooting. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. How do you, like, what's the best practice for you to stay up on instinctive shooting? Well, it's kind of funny. Back when I was Iron Man, and we'd all get together before social distancing was a thing, <laughs> <laughs> we, would, uh, we would purposely, you know, when you're up in the high country, in this country where we hunt, it's, usually timberline, 10,000 feet, and there ain't a lot of oxygen up there. But when you're young, 30 years old, whatever, it's no big deal. You can cruise, you can haul ass, you can do whatever you want to. But when we would practice, we would, three or four of us, we would uh, give somebody the go. You figure out what we'll do, what to do, and we'll follow you. But what we would do is we'd run up the mountain and run back down and run around the house and run, and you have to stop, and you got two seconds to make the shot, you know, something like that. You're out of breath. And it's the same way it is up there. I know a lot of people, they, they hunt elk out of tree stands on water holes or whatever. But for the most part, the way we hunted, it was it was tough, tough, hard work. And, and we practiced shooting out of breath now what can i say about instinctive shooting i'm not this is the same thing i told kyle when we first started i said do what i tell you don't do what i'm doing because i'm left eye dominant shooting right-handed that everything that you would not want to do is what i do (laughs) and it's sad but true hell nobody i didn't have no coaches i just one time I went and put me a clicker on. I thought, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this clicker. It's gonna get me back full draw, all this and all that. I put that thing on there, and oh, like it drove me freaking crazy. Sometimes the string would twist up and it'd prematurely click, and the arrow would go off. And oh my god, I just I just it drove me nuts. I just couldn't take it. So I ripped that sucker off, and I said, I'm the, I'm not gonna try and make anybody else happy except myself and I'm just going to shoot the way I always have shot. And so as the time goes on that, that summer when I was trying to really get to be like the good shooters, I uh, 
threw that damn clicker in a trash can and started shooting instinctively. Well, I got a goat tag. I couldn't believe it. Well, I snuck in on two billies. One of them was laying down. I couldn't identify how big he was. And the other one was sitting right on the edge of a cliff, and I was looking at him, and I laid there at about 28 yards for an hour and a half. Connie's a mile down the mountain. And finally, old Sleepyhead lifted his head up, and they were clones. Both billies were about the same size. And I said, all right, I'm going to go for the one that's right on the edge of the cliff, and if I don't get a chance at that one, I'll get a chance at old Sleepyhead over here. So I stood up, and old Billy Goat on the cliff, he just leaped off that cliff and pulled his parachute, man. He was gone so damn fast, I didn't have time to even think. And I looked over at Sleepyhead. Well, Sleepyhead ain't sleeping no more. He's on the dead run. <laughs> and I pulled back instinctively, hit him right in the 12 ring, on the run, 28 yards. There is no way in hell the old clicker was going to help me do that. So that just told me that I, I don't need all that stuff. I'm talking about me personally. And that's just... My, that's my story about instinctive. It's just shooting the dang thing the same way every time over and over and over. And then it becomes instinctive. Now, when you, when you're going to make the shot, what are you telling yourself? Anything? Are you just pick a, you're zeroing in on the hair and no. everything else kind of goes away. Like well, how's what's going through? Uh, I look, I, I look at a zone and that zone is, is right behind her front shoulders. And, you know, I get with some of these buddies of mine is saying, yeah, I picked out a hair and I shot the hair out. It's like, there's no way in hell I'm going to shoot a hair out. <laughs> I look for that zone and I really can't tell you. It's something that's not easy to describe. It's just natural just a natural thing and it comes from shooting a bazillion arrows at every length and distance and, and circumstance there is you know i shot a i shot another goat with my self bow and it was moving at way too far and i hit that sucker on the 12 ring just as he was going around the cliff well unfortunately it didn't enter the chest cavity on the angle and it shot up through the outside of his front shoulder, but I hit him perfect. And I had to track him down and kill him. But I, when I let that arrow go, and that was with a self bow, I let that arrow go and I saw it hit him. I was like, it's over. And when I ran over to the edge of the cliff and looked down there, because I expected to see him tumbling down the hill, he ain't tumbling, he's hauling ass. And I went, what the heck? And I don't know if I got a deflection off a rib bone or something. You know, that's happened before, usually with two blades. But these were four blades, you know, 125 grain Magnus. And I've shot forever. But, um, I really can't explain why that thing did not enter, you know, the chest cavity. I shot a, I shot a bull elk at 18 yards, hit that sucker in the 12 ring. And I'll tell you what a lot of that might be is plucking the string and you're getting wobble in your arrow flight. You don't know that unless you got slow-mo video to do it. But I hit this elk and it hit a rib bone and turned the arrow up and stuck 
into his tenderloin. And I was, I just stood there dumbfounded. Now, how the hell can that happen? And it's, uh, for the most part, probably poor arrow flight at that moment. Or just the luck of the draw, and it hit that rib just perfect and went and deflected it. I really don't know. But I've had a few deflections. Most of those deflections that I've had were just regular two-blade. Well, I had an engineering buddy. He's a very smart guy. And he did a test, as engineers would, as you'd expect him to. But I told him I had a deflection. And he goes, you know, I set up, a, I drilled a bunch of holes in a two-by-four and put all these dowels in it. I don't know how far he spaced them. And I set it in front of my target, and I started shooting different broadheads, and he goes, almost without a doubt, the two blades would hit one of those dowels and deflect, where a four-blade would deflect much, much less. It would just almost always hit the target behind. I said, really? Huh. But he said he had, he had them deflect a lot in his test. I haven't done it myself, but... Other than on real I think I think that the um shorter the two blade this is just a guess. The shorter the two blade head is, like if it's an inch and a half or two inches or two and a half, the shorter it is, the steeper the angle. The steeper mm-hmm. the angle, the more the deflection. I, I shot this cow elk one time and she would she was with the herd and the herd bull was bugling and I had uh, snuck down into the herd, and I, I I pulled out of a morning hunt where I couldn't get into the um, bulls, and I wanted to go hunt a different unit where I could shoot at cows also because I was in a, a bull-only unit. So, of mm-hmm. course, I get over into this herd, and there's a bugling bull, and I was thinking about getting greedy, and then I thought, no, you know what? You came over to this unit where you can shoot cows. So I... I slid into this cow's bed. Literally, she got up and started walking, and I, I was standing right where she'd been laying, and she turned and gave me a 12-yard shot, and I was shooting a really short, two-bladed head, real steep angle, and I hit her. I must have hit a rib or something, but she was yep. so close, and the shot was so perfect, and it was quartering away real hard, and I couldn't believe my eyes when that arrow took a 90-degree turn and went a different direction through her. I, I, I was dumbfounded. So I, I definitely... Did, did, it leave like this, a, did it leave a long cut? It, it, uh, it, it, it hit her back rib, and, and, and instead of going, like, through the, the liver and diaphragm and lungs, it just hooked right and just went through the guts. Huh. One time I was with my young boy in a pit blind hunting antelope, 25 yards, buck watered and he walked away and stopped 25 yards. I pulled back and shot and hit it on the last rib, quartering away. And that arrow deflected. It's just the luck of the spin of the arrow where that broadhead hit that rib. Yeah. And granted, granted, antelope have hard bones. Super light, but hard. I think one time, uh, some seminar, somebody said they will withstand. You can look it up for yourself. But I, I think he said 27,000 PSI. Really, really, it's like ceramic glass type um, hardness. But anyway, it hit that last rib just in the rotation of the arrow 
and it cut a 10, 11 inch slice up the rib cage before the arrow got away from him. Yeah. Unbelievable. I just couldn't believe my eyes. Just like you just, just like you just said, it's your standard dumbfounded. Yeah. Two hours later, a buck came in and did the same thing, stopped in almost exactly the same spot. I hit it exactly in the same spot and it punched out the front of his chest. But yes, they'll deflect. I like those long skinny long skinny heads for that reason. I know that there's sometimes you can have some blood blood trail issues, but I, I like that like the grizzly head. I like that long skinny head for those reasons. Yeah, you know, if you back in the back in the day in the sixties I would say, before they outlawed it here, there was a, a head called a Hillbury. And it was a real long needle pointed um head. But the the metal blade snapped onto a plastic body. And that's why they're not legal anymore because they at least here, no no plastic can be part of the head. Like the old uh, right. what was it, Razorback Razorback fives and whatever, those blades set into plastic. They're not legal for a long time. They haven't been legal, but those hillbreeze would have a needle, needle, long needle point on them. And you know, there's a point of of uh, what is the word diminishing return when they're too yeah. long. If they're too sure. long and too flimsy, you're going to have problems on the other end of the spectrum. Oh, I so, agree. Yeah, the grizzly is a, a big a old feral. tough head. Yeah, you need a good feral that runs the the length yep. of the head. Um, that that tough head is kind of like a a grizzly, even better because the feral runs all the way to the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a it's a good design. Well, I'm from old school, you know, and I I've been shooting these Magnus heads forever and ever. And when Magnus was when, when the word Magnus uh, was selling out the old uh, uh, the original Magnus heads is selling out to another company or quitting making them because they wasn't making any money on them. Oh, I went crazy. I went and spent $500 and bought all I could stand. I still drawing on them, <laughs> but, uh, there's, a, there's problems with those heads. There's problems with a lot, a lot of broadheads. You know, I kind of put together a, a DVD on sharpening broadheads and just, to make it fair to everybody, I didn't cut anything down on the movie. I just explained what they need to look for and for a good head. And I'm I'm here to tell you that some of these heads that were sent to us for that video should not even be sold, should not even be legal. They are such junk. Now, I'm not going to say any names. We'll let people figure it out themselves, but it, it it was just astounding how bad they were. <laughs> it's hard to beat a good solid head, at least in the traditional aspect of it. Um, yeah, good, good solid heads. You just nothing that bends and breaks. And and uh, I, I shot two blades for a long, long time, and I and I had too many problems with with trails and. And I, I don't have any experience with the uh, single bevels, you know, that everybody jumped on a wagon here in the last 10 years. 
where they split bone and all this and that. There's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, the evidence is there. They do what they're supposed to do, but I never jumped on the wagon, so I don't have any experience with them. But the two-blade double bevels, I had, I had holes seal up, terrible blood trails. So I use a Magnus with the snap-in bleeders, and and uh, that's what I stick with. There's probably uh, similar heads out there that are as good, if not better. I just haven't changed. 20 years from now, nobody will know who I am. Nobody will care what Brock is I shot. <laughs> but it's but hard I, to it's hard to change habits, you know. Well, what do they say? Dad is dead. You can't get any deader. So there's always that. Uh, having confidence in your equipment, I think, is everything, really, at the end of the day. What you, you bet. Is gonna get it done there. You know, so you know, you guys had uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name uh, on a podcast from Wyoming. Uh, the guy that took a bucket load of big muleys. Mike Mike Barrett, yeah, yeah. I have a friend that lives up there near him, and he knows him and stuff. And I haven't listened to but three podcasts in my life, and and one of them was mine. The other one was Connie's. <laughs> and the other one was his i don't know i just had time then and i listened to it and i I found myself listening to him telling his stories and i would pre judge what i would do in those situations and he almost to the exact thing i was thinking say what he did and it's like damn this guy and I'm not patting myself on the back, but that guy knew what the hell he's doing. I mean, he, 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 uh, I could just tell by listening to him that he knew what he was doing. Well, he's practiced up. Yeah. He's taking yeah, a bunch he's of a monsters. Cool. But I think he's my buddy cool. told me that he's, uh, he's tracked down and taken a couple of mountain lions on his own. Did you guys talk about that at all? Uh, a little bit. Um, we, uh, we you might get a hold that. of him again. Yeah, I I actually ran into him on a hunt this fall, and I got to oh. spend some yeah I got to spend some time <laughs> with him. He is an absolute just a he's a hunting fool, man. He is no joke. Well, and, I, I uh, could tell so, by the way he was talking. Yeah, yeah I, I love he, I, I mean, love how he I love how he modifies like his t shirts. He modifies his pants. He modifies everything to to, to for his confidence. In his hunt, I, I think that's yeah. really cool. How that? Yeah. Well, I used to do that stuff back in the day, you know, but I don't now. I, I keep it so simple. I don't. I don't do anything. If I can't do it one on one, I don't. You know, and I mean, he's still doing it one on one, but um, but I, I used to modify some of my uh, hunting clothes back when I started. It was hard to find anything but Vietnam camo, and it had a poplar in there, and that stuff was like. Wearing this queen, Jesus, so noisy. So then I'd strip down naked and stalk stalk these mule deer in the willows, and then I'd get fried to the bone because you're above timberline, (laughs) and it would just cook you. But but would stalk on Gary? You're stalking mealies in the high country naked. Yeah, well, I have underwear on. I'd take my (laughs) shoes off. I'd slide right in there, man. It'd make America's favorite home videos. I guarantee you. Especially when you miss and you're out there in your underwear throwing a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, 
So you ran into this guy you had on the podcast, and he go, "What the hell are you doing in my hunting unit?" Now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. No, he's a he's yeah. a good dude, man. Good guy. Yeah, cool. I, well, you ought to talk to him about um, about those lion hunts. I really don't know anything about it, but you know, the, to uh, to one on one track one down without a, pre- a previous kill even then it's tough but uh oh, yeah, there's there's very few people that's done that you know and, and so if he's done it a couple of times that's interesting i'd like to hear about some of those hunts yeah we plan on getting him back on to talk about some elk and maybe run down those i i asked him about it but he's but uh you know, it's 20 some years ago, you know, I haven't got one in 20 years of it. He still goes out. I mean, all he does is go out and walk around the woods. That's what he does. And, huh, that's and amazing. That year, when we had him on last year, he said he spent like 20 days lion hunting last year. <laughs> He's like, but I haven't yeah, got one in like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. But he likes <laughs> walking down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, kind of tried to do it a few times after, after I took mine. You know, I, I, I hunted with outfitters, and I knew lions, and I know where they're at, and I know what they do, and I know their habits, and on and on and on. So I, I attributed all that stuff to my success on my first real try without dogs. But I've tried it for about five years straight afterwards. We got close, but and I was learning more and more all the time, and but, you know, I started digging the driveway five years ago and I'm still digging it. <laughs> oh, crap. I'll send you guys a picture of it and I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we're going to use for this podcast. It's some pictures of rocks in your driveway. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know? think if you guys if you guys haven't listened, I think uh, it was episode 45, I believe, that uh, we had Gary on and we pretty much just covered him walking down a mountain lion and that was a pretty intense yeah, uh episode that's awesome. yeah that's when he started good. his driveway <laughs> that's about when he started his driveway yeah oh it's sad well i'll uh, tell you before we get off of here is that is that i uh, i was going to say it earlier but i forgot to is that when we started this venture on this driveway uh the the economy was coming back Interest rates were high, and then I'm still working on it. Interest rates dropped to an all-time low. Then they went all the way up again. They went real high again, and now they're at an all-time low again. <laughs> oh, my God. I just got to get this damn thing done so I can catch it when it's down. <laughs> I'll get it sooner or later. Hey, at least you were so already you guys, good. Uh, the best in thing. If you guys... Um, I'm running out of things to talk about. I don't. I could go on forever. <laughs> no, I want to hear. I, I know you've killed everything under the sun, but uh, I want to know what if there is one miss that you think about, whether it was a huge bull or a ram. Oh like yeah. One. I want to know your yeah. one miss that you could, if you could take one back, the one. What would it be? Well, I missed the world record mule deer at the time. I shot a 180 class uh, the year before, and I'm in the same basin. I spotted this buck. I mean, he is a giant. And I spent half the morning getting up on him. And I had those 
that's when I realized that we got to get naked, baby, because I had this stupid Vietnam um, camo top on, and I got up real close, and it's making so much noise that I can see the tips of his horns. He's not 20 yards from me, not even 15 yards. And it's on a real, real steep uh, slope. And I can't get any closer because of this stupid, noisy-ass shirt. I know he's going to make me. So I come up with this harebrained idea, and I'm going to tell you right now, don't do this. But I reached down and picked up these rocks, and I chucked them on the other side of him to see if he'd stand up. And as soon as that rock, you know, they're golf ball-sized rocks, as soon as that rock hit, you can see his antlers slinched when he heard it. And he ain't moving. And so I reached down, I picked up another one, and I threw it on the other side of him. This time he don't flinch. He's listening. He can hear my damn Vietnam poplar camo sleeve. He ain't moving. He's, his antlers tips, he's looking right at me, but he can't see me. He knows I'm there. And I said, all right, buddy. You're going to get up, and you're going to be moving, and I'm going to be ready. So I just started moving. I didn't even take a half a step. He come out of that bed, off the side of that mountain. My arrow went right over his back, and I was sick to my stomach. This is, it was world class. It was giant, but I blew it. That's just one of many of my blown, but that one sticks out. I would have been the hero of the year if I could have got that thing. <laughs> <laughs> truth is you know that's what you're all striving for is a really a really nice mature animal and doesn't matter what you're hunting when you get something of that caliber and screw it up i can remember looking at an old vhs tape of uh jim doherty that he sneaks up on a caribou in his movie that he you know you could buy those things back in the day and and he sneaks up on a caribou, and and the caribou's right there in a little depression. He pulls back, and he misses it. He just, like, throws his bow down, and he's all bummed out. He says, my gosh, you travel all this distance and shoot like that. It's, oh, man. I know how he felt, but it's not like I invented it. Everybody's been there. Yeah. Uh, being from Colorado, Gary, uh, it sounds like, like Bob had mentioned, you've, you know, killed the big eight several times over and kind of hunted everything. Um, but, it, it, you know, Colorado is known for those big mule deer. Has that been a target animal? I mean, a, an animal you've been real passionate about throughout the years? Or Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time hunting like them. All? I, I spent a lot of time hunting them. I really enjoyed it back when I hunted them. But, you know, at that point in time when I was going 100 miles an hour on on uh, mule deer, I mean, I got stacks of photos of them. I used to just take the take the antlers and just give them to the guy up the street to make knife handles and stuff. I never really kept any. And probably one of the biggest bull elk I ever took, I gave to him, too. I mean, it was, a, it was probably close to a booner-sized um, elk, but I shot it with a rifle right out of high school i just never really thought much about trophy hunting i mean it wasn't a thing to me and it still isn't although i like to take 
mature animals. But I spent a lot of time hunting mule deer as well. During that period, people, my some of my buddies that moved here from Minnesota and Michigan and all these other places, all they could talk about was white-tailed deer. Whitetail this, whitetail that. Oh man, you'll never get a whitetail, man. You just hunt them stupid ass mule deer, you know. And I said, What? Whitetail, huh? Hmm. Well, it's different because I never hunted them. And so I started tagging along with them hunting the uh, whitetail. And damn, I got hooked on that whitetail. And there's, you know, then you, could, you either hunt the mountains or you hunt the whitetails. And so I hunted whitetails for years and years just to show them guys that. My God, I can kill him. <laughs> but yeah, I spend a lot of time hunting mule deer. I love it. And is there one animal that sticks out better than the other? No, not really. Each one of them has their own attributes. I, I love, I love bear baiting. I love seeing the bears come in and go and all this and that. The last ones that we've killed was one on one, no baiting. Um, there's nothing beats a bugling a bull in and you know it's just each one of those animals has a whole different thing about them and so it'd be tough to say that this is my favorite and there's a lot of guys that that all they want is mules or all they want is whitetails and i don't know but i don't draw a line between them sheep i mean my gosh that's tough go you're you're equal equal opportunist bow hunter i like it you kind of guy well you know i years ago i started applying for arizona and montana and i'm gonna hunt the world and one day i just said oh hell with it they gotta make you jump through all these hoops for a non-resident tag in arizona if you come down and take their hunter education you get an extra point or something like that 30 years ago i don't need i don't know how it is nowadays it just soured me and i said hell i got enough to hunt right here and i quit I just quit applying for them. And there's people that they just nonstop thousands of dollars of applications every year. And I just, I got out of it and just stayed here. My big dream hunt was to go stone sheep hunting, you know, not necessarily to get the grand slam or anything, but I just liked the way those stone sheep looked. And oh my God, $10,000. <laughs> that would put the well in and everything else. Ten, yeah, ten thousand. Like I think they're like thirty. I think they're like thirty thousand nowadays. Well, that's what I was getting at. That ten thousand dollars. Well, there's no way in hell I'll ever be able to go hunt those things. And I was talking to Mark Clinky about that here I don't know, a year or so ago, and he goes, "Ha! That's the guide's tip nowadays." You know? So yeah. I just. <laughs> Plus, I'm a I'm a guy that don't. I don't, I don't want to be led by the hand. I don't want to guide. The only guide that I really ever had was a pack of hounds, you know. And I'm just not into it. I I knew a guy that was working as a guide for an outfitter. You know, I have several friends that are outfitters: Jake, Mark, Lyle, cats, sheep, goats. It don't matter. Moose, everything. They guide them all. But I, <clears throat> I, I knew this guy that was a. I went to work for this uh, outfitter. I don't even know who it was. It's been so long ago. But he was telling me this story. He goes, "Yeah, this guy is a great big old, two hundred and eighty pound guy. He could barely even walk, and he smoked like a chimney." And 
I'm leading him up through the trees and he's way down below me. And I looked off to my left and there's a five point bull right there, not very far from me. And he says, the guy's coming up the hill, just going there. And he goes, I just turned around and walked the other way with this guy. I just said, I'm not going to pack this guy's elk out. And I thought that was the most rotten thing that sucker could do, man. He's being paid to be, find this guy an elk, and he finds one and just walks in the other direction. And so somehow I had a, I looked at a lot of these guides that way. That's probably not the way to look at them, but um, I just, I just don't, I don't want anybody leading me by the hand. If I can't do it on my own, I don't want to do it. Yep. It's it's that hate hatred of people you have. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that you can't be alone if you have a guide. <laughs> and Gary is Gary is born with social distancing. <laughs> I invented it. Oh, that sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, that's why we're doing this by phone. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's sad. Uh, people get. People, everybody has a different, you know, attitude. And I, I do, I do the white tail in the same way. You know, these guys just go crazy, squirting themselves with all this and putting this on and that on. And I was, oh my god! Just go see if you can get one without all that stuff. Make it a challenge, you know. Just like Connie did, she grabbed her bow, went out on foot, pick the spot, buck comes by, and she gets it with a stone point. I mean, it doesn't get any more pure than that, no matter what you say. I told her in the past that just shooting a little spike is better than any paid-for Boone Crockett bull that anybody could ever take. You know, it's just one-on-one. That's, that's our philosophy. I don't know why the hell you shot that cow, though. Why did you shot that cow and you got a bull bugle and you couldn't shoot the bull? Ah, the bull was not, not in range. You got to shoot the shoot yeah. with the uh, out here in Oregon. We get like one shot a year for lucky. <laughs> but you practice around the clock for that one shot. Hey, I understand. It's a jungle out there. It is a jungle out here. Uh, how's the uh, pandemic hitting you guys nowadays? Uh, we're doing all uh-huh. right. Um, it's it's uh, you know it depends on who it's you talk to good. whether we're bracing for the peak or we've had the peak yeah. or what's going on. But yeah. uh, knock on wood, it hasn't gotten crazy like New York and everything. You know, I live in yeah. New York and That's Portland, so it's nasty. I'm, I I don't I don't have time to get sick. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Portland, yeah, you know I mean, Portland. Yeah, I, I tell I you, do. when I was right out of high school, I went through Portland. Maybe I already said this on podcast forty-five. I don't know, but it reminded me. I was good with my buddy, and I'm driving through. I miss it. Boy, if you miss an exit on one of them highways, you're in trouble. This was a long time ago, but. I went and I missed my exit. Oh, damn. So then I get off on the next one. I go down through town and or some part of town, and there's all these firemen out there in front of this fire department, and they're waving their hands at me and yelling at me. It's like, what the hell is their problem? 
you're going the wrong way. <laughs> I, was going the way. <laughs> I was on a one-way street going the wrong way. Oh, man. Yeah. That. that sounds like Oregon. We got a lot of one-way streets. Yeah, I found out. <laughs> <laughs> out here, you can go both ways. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, one thing Marv told me a long time ago, not a long time ago, but a few years ago when we did that first podcast, he says, yeah, you know, I like the podcast, Gary. He says it wasn't real long, like three hours or so. Some of those things get way too long. So instead of having somebody say that about me, I'm about ready to end this. How about you, fellas? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Gary. You are the man. Uh, yeah, it gets better with a couple beers, man. It's a lot more fun. <laughs> but I said, I said, oh man, I better not drink a beer before I get on here. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> All right, Stud. Well, we really appreciate your time, Gary, and hopefully, some of these younger guys listen to you and, and uh, they can kind of carry on the keep it simple torch. That's what we preach a lot here on the podcast. So. Always well, fun. I'll tell you what, they're gonna they're gonna be so confused after listening to me. He shoots right handed, he's left eye dominant. What the hell? This guy oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Just, just keep it simple, guys, and enjoy it. That's the main thing. Don't make it a fight. Once again, don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Check us out wherever your favorite podcast is found. Don't forget to subscribe. Tell your friends. Join and support your local bow hunting organizations and your national bow hunting organizations such as PBS and Compton Traditional. Check us out on Instagram. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight. Frosty before the sun comes up, the geese are on the wing. The deer are fat and happy, no, they don't suspect a thing. Can't take it any longer, I've got to breathe some air. The only cure for what I've got is a week or so out there. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside.